Okay, so we are live. I'd like to welcome everyone to the third day of Megacom. Good morning. Woohoo, I see and I hear. That's that's half the battle, Jeff. Thank you. Okay, so by now you guys should all be experts on how this works. And it's very, very simple. Um, I'm going to introduce Tom in one second. And I'm going to remind you that you can put the questions in the Q&A tab. At the end, we will answer those. At the end, we will answer those um, questions, meaning Tom will, not we. Um, and then Tom has graciously agreed to go to track one lounge, track one. And I would like to ask all of you a huge favor. I know that you'd love to speak to him, but it is 11 o'clock at night there in Seattle. So please don't keep him too long. Be kind um, to get to our guests because we really want Tom to come to Israel physically at the next conference that he's allowed to. He's agreed many times in the past and hopefully we'll actually make that happen. And with no further ado, I give you the amazing Tom Johnson. All right, thanks Paula. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak at this conference and especially to talk about a, a, a topic that um, is a little bit different from what I've typically uh, presented on. Uh, something that's always bothered me about just my career in general as a tech writer and also my experience as a blogger is that on the web, I feel like people know me and I can write and have an audience and interact and I go to a conference and people are like, oh, let me meet Tom Johnson, you know, and I feel like it kind of gives me a big head and so on. And then I go inside my company, no matter where I'm working, and it's very much the opposite. I'm a, I'm a little mouse on the wall. You know, it's like I, I don't feel like I have any kind of influence or, or there's no sense of awareness. You know, it's like this paradox of, of feeling like on the Internet, uh, I have a sense of uh, influence and, and there's an awareness, but inside the company, no. So why why is that? How can I bridge that paradox? Um, it's not just a paradox I've experienced. I was talking with somebody else who's a who's a podcaster and she said the exact same thing. It says it, it bothered her to no end. She was like, you know, creating lots of popular podcasts. People people uh, praised her and knew her well, but inside the company, it wasn't that story at all. So why is it that we have this paradox and how can we increase awareness of TechCom, techcom inside the corporate walls? Um, so by the way, I have some slides here. You can, you're welcome to follow along at ratherbewriting.com at the URL shown here. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to walk through kind of a, a a hypothesis, something I'm trying out. Uh, it's not necessarily something tried and true. It's more of like a um, what's Tom currently thinking and trying kind of uh, topic. So, you know, the, the ability to have influence inside a corporation, it's not a vanity thing. It's not like I want people to like know me and recognize me for any reason. There's a lot of sense that, that tech writers lack influence as a role. Uh, in companies, right? We're often treated as sort of second-class citizens. We're kept out of the loop until the last minute. We're asked to do things uh, practically overnight. Nobody really knows how to work with us. You know, people who've been in, an engineer for years have no idea how tech writers work, um, what the process is, and so on. There's like the story of academic publishing is why don't tech writers have a stronger value? If if documentation is so important and it's you know it plays such an influential role in the user experience, how come tech writers are are not um, you know given more of a seat at the table and so on? So there's a lot a lot of negative consequences that come along with being kind of a uh, an invisible entity inside of a company. Um, so in this presentation, I'm going to talk about some of the dynamics of the web and how that allows people to have influence and then see how those same dynamics or techniques could apply or not apply inside corporate walls. I mean, clearly there are very straightforward techniques that people use on the web to promote products, promote websites, promote things, uh, and, and people become influencers and so on. How could you 
translate those same techniques inside the company to have the same effect? Are they totally different spaces with completely different rules that don't apply, like two different universes with different laws of physics? Or are there some, some areas of overlap? I'm actually not 100% sure either way. So let's get into a little bit of, about influence on the web. And by the way, feel free to add questions at any time. And if I think they're relevant, I'll, uh, I'll answer them uh, in the moment. Or if, if they're not quite relevant, I'll answer them at the end. Um, the web has really created a new dynamic. It's one where content creators are poised to have a tremendous amount of influence. Uh, you don't need to have special credentials. You don't need to be vetted or have a special position or platform in order to have influence on the web. There's an effect um, called the megaphone effect where basically anybody can grab the megaphone and shout in it and gets, gets a lot of people listening, right? This is like the story of, of politics and, and everything where people can uh, exert an in inordinate amount of influence from just a small kind of minority. Um, you're able to uh, be kind of a nobody who some, somehow gains people who are followers or readers or whatever, and then uh, they're sort of influenced. This whole genre of, of the influencer is kind of uh, most common on Instagram or some other sites where, you know, you have uh, on YouTube, the, the, this whole phenomenon of people who are suddenly influencers, but they don't come from any kind of special training or position in order to hold that influence. That's, that's the phenomenon of the web. It's decentralized everything, level the playing field, and the people who can create content that is engaging, that uh, kind of relays the same experiences as people who are, who are, um, you know, living, living those experiences, uh, can gain a lot of interest among the people. You know, if somebody is honest, transparent, they tell stories, they're not afraid of uh, the truth and so on, they're able to gain a large amount of appeal more so than, um, somebody who might, might have a, an official position. Now, I think, uh, the the formula for influence on the web is not necessarily a huge secret. Uh, generally, you, you pick a focus, you generate a lot of content related to that focus, you share that content uh, with the right people, and you build up an audience. If you basically create content and share it with the right people and they find it interesting, and you do this again and again and again over a long period of time, you begin to build up an audience and suddenly you, you can have influence with that audience. Of course, it's much easier to, to say than to pull off. Uh, not everybody who creates content is going to build an audience, right? The content creator has to be likable, interesting, engaging. And uh, of course, the big question is, how do you find time to create all this content? A lot of content creators do it as a, a side hobby. It's not necessarily something that has tangible or financial rewards, at least not in the beginning. Um, there's a metaphor for creating content on the web of grabbing a handful of sand and just kind of like uh, watching it slip through your fingers. You have to reach down and grab another handful of sand. That's like creating content, right? You've, you've created content, you've shared it out, but that handful of sand is now slipping through your fingers and you have to like create more content and more content. That usually burns people out after a period of time. Uh, you, have to, you have to have kind of an endless well of creativity uh, it's not enough to write a brilliant article or post every few months. You have to churn one out weekly as an extracurricular hobby. And that kind of like f ability to crank out content that's good enough to appeal to an audience is, is really uh, what's hard about it. Um, and I think content creators also have to enjoy the, the, this, activity of creating content for the sake of creating it. There's no other way to really sustain the effort in the long term without just finding enjoyment of doing it. So that's kind of the basics about like how influencers on the web sort of, um, I don't know, their patterns and, and the dynamics, uh, a lot of its content creation and sharing and so on. Um, so what kind of techniques would work on the web um, 
what kind of web techniques would work in the corporation? W would the effects be the same? Can a tech writer have more visibility and influence inside corporate walls to increase awareness of tech comm with all those around him or her using these same techniques? Um, that, that is sort of the experiment that I'm trying out right now. And spoiler alert, this is like an ongoing experiment. I think it will take a couple of years to really evaluate and measure and try to understand what is evidence of impact or not. So my initial attempts to create content inside um, the company uh, kind of fizzled out. Um, I started out creating and sharing a what's new kind of email with people. Um, did this at Amazon for probably two years where uh, every time we had, usually on a monthly basis, we would just uh, package up an email saying, hey, here's all the stuff we published. Here's a you know brief summary of what it all is. Send it out to everybody and their cousin and kind of increase awareness about what we were doing. It's kind of the bare bones and you'd think that most doc groups do this already. But when I ask people about this, actually not that many do. Um, surprisingly, few seem to. Um, and then I recently evolved this into doc reports. So instead of just saying, hey, here's what's new, I would add a, I added a section on metrics, added a, a section on, hey, these are the top requests we've received, um, maybe an article about, hey, this is our process for doing something, or you know, these are our new um, objective key results or OKR things and so on, more of like a report. Um, I started doing this at the request of a business stakeholder. It's very common for different groups to report upward, and I wanted to have documentation also provide a report, you know, and be treated like other groups and so on with data that could be evaluated um, and read by senior leaders. And then I started to also send out meeting notes. I thought this would be kind of an interesting genre. I mean, it's very common to send out meeting notes after a meeting, but I started to increase the number of recipients to um, far outweigh the number who are actually in the meeting. You know, a lot of people they don't really have time for meetings, but they like to get brief summaries about what issues people are talking about and what's taking place. And there was kind of a group of, or there was a space where people would post meeting notes as a way to keep everybody informed. Um, uh, thought it would be more issue focused and so on. Um, so as I was kind of engaged in pushing out this content, I was talking with somebody and they were like, you know, how do you, how do you know, uh, how many people are reading this? You know, are people reading meeting notes? Are they reading reports? And I realized I, I really didn't know. Um, I would get an occasional, hey, great report or thanks, Tom. But it was really hard to know if people were reading anything. So I decided to do a test. I, I Instead of putting all the content inside the email uh, and sending it out, I, I just put a list of the topics discussed and pointed to uh, like an a Google Doc uh, and used a link tracker to see how many people click the link and realized that only a very small number have, were clicking the link. This really made me think about the value of, of doing this. Um, were people reading it? Not really. Um, but I also started to realize that I was going about this all wrong. I seem to have forgotten everything I'd learned on the web. Uh, the first rule when you share con content on the web is to track clicks. You want to know who's clicking something. Every time I send out an email newsletter, every link is, is tracked with a, a link tracker. I use uh, just like rebrandly. Uh, there's tons of these, but I want to know, are people clicking? Are people not clicking? If you send out a, a, a post on LinkedIn, Twitter, you want to track how many people are actually clicking the, the link because it lets you know if your content is engaging or completely boring. Another thing I'd totally forgotten was the ability to track page views, right? If all your content only lives in an email, you can't track page views. If you have a newsletter uh, tool, you can often track the number of opens, but it's really not the same um, as, as page views. Kind of like the bread and, butter, bread and butter of the website uh, or of the web, sorry, is that you have a website with analytics and you can see how many people are going to each page and you can track which pages are the most popular. 
This is how I realized several years ago that the topic of API documentation was super popular. I was looking at my analytics and I saw that 75% of the traffic was basically going to my API documentation site. And it made me wake up in a big way and I started to focus on that a little bit more. Um, I also uh, realized that when I pushed all the content directly in an email, there was no website. Uh, there was no home for the content. But on a website, about 75 to 90% of the incoming traffic is usually through organic SEO. People just arriving at your site through search, through whatever. You have to have like a home on the web for your content to live and for people to discover it, right? If you just have an e if all the content only lives in an email, it's just not discoverable. Um, and there's no way to really, there's no way to really structure and navigate a path through the information and email is just like a long kind of list. You could have jump headings and so on, but it's not the same as a website that you can navigate on, on a side menu, on a top navigation bar with other kind of, um, information architecture. Um, all right. So I, I realized that I wasn't really going about it wrong. I, I started to re realize that, you know, uh, the, the dynamics of sharing information inside the corporation, at least following the same sort of pattern that is very common, just sending out an email newsletter, wasn't really leveraging web techniques. Um, I wasn't capturing new subscribers, you know, it didn't have like a newsletter sign up page or anything. Uh, and, and it just wasn't really working. Um, there's some other aspects as well, but I decided I really needed to pivot and, and try to implement some of these things. So I, I set about trying to implement some, some of these principles I've been talking about. I moved the, the, the newsletter content, I'm calling it a newsletter, but really it's like a report and other information that I'm just sort of calling a newsletter, but I moved it onto a website so that I could have a dedicated space for everything. And then I broke up each article into its own page on the website so that I could track uh, who's going to which page and which is most interest, interesting to people. I also included link trackers when I shared out the content. And instead of stuffing it into one big email, I put little summaries followed by a read more link that uh, was tracked with the link tracker to see, is anybody going to this content? Um, and then of course I had page analytics, uh, like Google, Google analytics set up with the website so that I could look to see, uh, how, I don't know what, what other traffic is coming to the site, um, and made sure that the, the website was findable in the enterprise search, uh, that, that it wasn't like locked down in terms of permissions, but it had, um, good, good visibility. And finally I added like a a newsletter sign up uh, based on a Google group. So I did some basic things to try to just implement some fundamentals of website uh, management promotion uh, into this newsletter report kind of experience um, and sent out the newsletter again. And then I suddenly could see much more clearly what was engaging and what wasn't engaging. And while these metrics started to provide more information, it still wasn't as if uh, there was an avalanche of traffic by any means. Uh, instead, it seemed to confirm kind of a milk warm interest in the content. You know, not nothing, nothing that would ever be considered viral or popular. Um, and I, I realized that really the content itself is the biggest problem, right? Uh, this is something that is elusive. Um, how do you create engaging content? Um, and, and this is, this is one of those complex questions because on the web, uh, my blog had always just been written with other technical writers in mind. There's a commonality of discipline. It's easy to kind of build and join a community when everybody's working, um, from the same role and has similar issues and experiences and challenges and questions and tools and so on. But I, I really wasn't interested in, in building a community of other tech writers inside my company. I felt like, uh, I already have a blog for other tech writers and so on. 
I really wanted to interact with business leaders, with QA, with project teams, engineers, stakeholders, support, all the different people we always interact with um, around products and documentation. I wanted that, that group to be my audience for this content. But how do you find, how do you create content that will appeal to this diverse group of roles, most of whom are, are really not going to be interested in documentation itself? Um, well, I think that uh, the time-worn advice on the web for what to focus on is something I started to think about. The, the time-worn advice on the web is that write what you find interesting and the audience will materialize. The idea is that on the web, it's so vast and wide that even if you're writing about bubblegum, you're gonna find 300 people across the globe that are also interested in bubblegum or something uh, like that. Uh, you, you shouldn't really worry about that audience because they will, they will uh, find your content because they're searching for it and so on. Well, is that true in the corporation? Should you just write kind of what you find engaging? What if the audience is really small? What if what you find engaging is really mundane? What if you're really into fonts or file naming patterns or you're trying to bring back the semicolon? Like, you know, there's there's probably a limit to what that audience size is inside a corporation. Um, however, uh, if you read like what companies do to make employees productive and successful, um, the general uh, advice or the general strategy that companies use is to try to uh, align employee interests with the projects they work on. If somebody is not emotionally engaged or connected with their project, with their content, with their with their work, then they sort of detach, they eventually quit, they change teams. I mean, you've really got to connect people with what they're kind of interested in if they're going to be sustained in a long-term effort in that thing. And the same goes with creative efforts. If you're not emotionally connected with what you're writing about, then it's not going to work. Uh, let's say you really hate dogs, but after doing a lot of research, you find that, hey, people are into puppies and puppy care and so on. So maybe you, you put aside your own hatred of, of dogs and you start a, a blog about dogs and so on. It's not really going to work in the long term. I mean, it might be kind of fun as an anti topic and so on, but eventually you're going to be miserable. It's not going to work out. So you have to find something that engages you on a deep level with an interest where even if you don't have readers, you're still getting something out of it. Um, and the, the, the hard part is that, you know, the reality in the corporate context is that a lot of the work is kind of dull and boring. It's not really something people do after hours or on the weekends or in their spare time. People disconnect in a big way from work and also from tech com. I mean, uh, tech writers on the weekends don't really read my blog. They, it's very much, uh, a during business hours type of activity because, tech writing is, is that sort of activity. Well, there are a lot of, uh, thoughts I have on creating engaging content. Um, the flip side of, of, of this argument is that, well, does the topic really matter? Sometimes it's more about the writing process. It's about writing and thinking and inquiring and organizing and, and arranging and, putting words to paper about a subject. Really anything can be interesting if you, if you look at it from the right way. Um, and really the knowledge that you possess as a technical writer is about documentation and the products that you're, you're writing about. So you kind of have already a lot of knowledge under your belt that you could, uh, bring out. Well, in this, quest to find a focus, I kind of looked at different topics. Um, you know, there's, there's the, the, the topic that always gets people's attention is anything new tech news trends and so on within any business space. Um, there's usually, 
new things that are coming out, whether it's from your company or other companies, uh, that usually get commands a lot of interest. People are, are always interested in stuff that's new. Now, does that really connect with what a tech writer would be expert about? Not necessarily, but it doesn't necessarily mean you couldn't. It's just, uh, it, it might be a challenge. Um, there's another topic, user pain points, right? It's like a, a lot of people are focused on the user. People are trying to, to reduce those pain points and frictions and make a great user experience. So in some ways, the user is kind of at the center of so many of these different roles and their interests. Um, problem there is that really tech writers are kind of focused on the future roadmap or on the, the next thing to be released. We're always writing for the a feature that's, well, a lot of us are writing for features that are are gonna come out in an upcoming release. We're not so much focused on the current user experience as much as um, writing about uh, the roadmap features. Uh, but having a focus on the user pain points would be a great way to kind of um, ground our work in what matters and so on. There's other sort of topics uh, you could write about comparisons to competitors. That's always an interesting angle. People are very fascinated by how uh, your current company's products stack up with competitors' products. People are usually uh, very, very myopic towards their current company. And you could look at the company's documentation, their their developer journey. I once wrote a like 35-page developer journey uh, competitive analysis comparing Fire TV and Roku, and it was pretty amazing. Um, well, not amazing. It was, <laughs> it was pretty interesting to some of the senior stakeholders. They really got a lot out of it. And I found it helpful as well, uh, just understanding terminology and differences and so on. Uh, I think in general, like documentation will naturally surface no matter what you choose to focus on you're going to come back to your current experience what you're interested in what you're what's occupying your attention all day um, it, that's been the case on my blog uh, it's usually focused on what i'm working on that's just a reality of of what we write about because when we write we're sorting out our thoughts and trying to figure out how we think about certain things and whatever's on our mind is going to surface so in reality, documentation will probably uh, dominate the discussion, which then again presents that challenge. How can documentation as a topic actually be interesting to people whose roles have very little to do with documentation? Another challenge I was trying to figure out is how do you, how do you brand an effort to create content inside the company? On the web, you have blogs as the fabric of a lot of the web. It's very common to create a website, whether it's a blog, a magazine, or online magazine, uh, some kind of news site, or some kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, content endeavor. But inside the corporation, it's not as common. You, you, you don't really see blogs in the workplace very much. Um, uh, if you do, it's like somebody's picture of their dog at work wearing a little hat or something. Like, it's not anything serious. Um, but I did start to realize that the, the kind of uh, most common piece of content that is sent around in corporations that resembles a blog is the newsletter. And the newsletter is something that's been around forever, um, it, it can date like back to ancient China and so on. People have been sending news and letters uh, from kind of like company heads and so on for a long time. So it's a very mu it's very much an established format. If you if you call the effort a newsletter, you're not out of place. If you call it a blog, you raise a lot of questions and weird looks and so on. But a newsletter is totally legitimate, and and people are. People kind of expect it. They expect teams and different groups to send out newsletters because it's a way that we break out of the silos and we help other people understand um, understand what we're doing. Um, newsletters have been how leaders communicate to employees. They, they develop relationships to employees. Uh, they really vary by how, how transparent they are in the newsletters, but really... The, the internal newsletter serves a highly similar function as an external newsletter. An external newsletter's job is to develop a relationship with the customer, help them have a, a favorable 
kind of view on products and services from the company. Um, in the same way, an internal newsletter is trying to help the employees have a favorable view of the company. Um, company leaders want people to be excited and informed and kind of feel connected, right? Um, so whatever, whatever the uh, sort of common discourse is in your company, maybe, maybe it's something other than a newsletter, um, you, you should follow that and leverage that as, as a way to um, sort of start your, your voice. But the problem with internal newsletters is much the same as with any corporate blog. Um, there's a reason why corporate blogs fail. I, when I look at all the, the sites that I read and, and so on, I couldn't tell you any, any site that's like a company written blog about their products that I actually read in a way to uh, I don't know, feel more than feel like it's more than a press release about their company. I mean, maybe I'll follow certain companies because I want to know, um, when they release something new or when there's news that they're sharing, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that the same as like a blog. There's something about a third party voice that is independent that sort of gives credibility. I was reading this, um, this person's thesis from 1993 on corporate newsletters and it's actually extremely well written um and this person myra cole is trying to find out whether newsletters serve their purpose she says internal newsletters are used to raise employee morale to boost productivity to communicate a company's culture and to encourage ethical behavior in pursuit of these goals, editors also struggle with the issue of candidness versus corporate politics. How much does journalism apply to a company newsletter, if at all? If the readers perceive, and this is the second part is in her conclusion. If the readers perceive the newsletter as being used for a message boy by an organization, the readership will drop off as credibility is lost which is the same as any kind of newsletter you receive from a company. It, it, it comes across as propaganda and another form of marketing material. So how do you, how do you avoid this trap? If you're writing from within the company, how do you have an independent voice? Well, that, that can be extremely difficult, uh, because in some ways you really can't have an independent voice. Um, you, you can't, you can't, for example, let's say a CEO comes out and announces strategic, strategic pillars and is really excited about them. But in your, in your article, in your newsletter, you kind of decide to take and play the devil's advocate and try to like undercut the pillars or deconstruct them or show how, uh, short-sighted they are. That's really not going to work. Um, in terms of like your long-term employment there. So as a result, like either you stay away from those topics or you, you sacrifice credibility. Uh, so, so this aspect of having an independent raw voice, that's not really driven by any kind of agenda is somewhat at stake in the internal effort here. And that could undercut the ability to actually have influence. It could be that the newsletter has the same effect as a corporate newsletter. That's just another form of marketing material. Uh, one other aspect of, whoops, hold on, actually, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. There was, there was a, uh, a slide, um, didn't quite come across here. Anyway, one other aspect about the, um, the, the workplace versus the company is, is that there are a lot of different dynamics at play. Um, in the inside the company org charts and hierarchy really do matter. It's not a, it's not a decentralized space. Uh, you know, like usually if, if a message or email comes from somebody who's high up on the org chart, it carries a lot of weight. Um, you know, if, if somebody's, uh, at the very bottom rung, it's going to be difficult to, to, uh, 
find an audience sometimes for content, perhaps. Another huge aspect that's problematic in the company is that employees are much more transient. Somebody is rarely in the same team for more than three years, whether they're changing teams internally or moving outside the company. There's not that long-term engagement. Whereas on the web, um, I've had people following my blog for a long time uh, and it can withstand a lot of people changing companies, even changing roles and so on. And it withstands me changing companies. I started in 2006 and I've changed probably to five different companies. Whereas if you're inside the company, uh, if you build up an audience and you build relationships with people, well, that's all going to come to a halt as soon as you change or they change. So that's a huge problem. Um, another problem in the company is that people are overloaded with information in a huge degree. Uh, in my personal email, I get around 20 messages a day, maybe. Uh, and of those, maybe a few are personal, um, personally to me. Whereas in the, in the workplace, I get hundreds, um, subscribed to every list that has relevant info. And there's a huge amount of just email flowing through all of this. So if email is the main way that we interact and promote information, it ends up being like a, a raindrop in a, in a bucket of water. Another way that companies are really different is that they're highly focused on OKRs and the bottom line, objective key results and so on. Uh, people rarely move into action without um, having some kind of agenda that's going to have a, an expected result that's connected to the bottom line and so on. Um, whereas on the web, a lot of the content people create is just because they are sort of enjoying the act of creating that type of content. They don't really have a huge, strong agenda. You don't, you bloggers, bloggers typically don't have OKRs for their blogs. You know, it's, it's much more, uh, whimsical or it's not as, uh, heavily directed. Finally, um, I think that there are there are many workplace politics that could actually be uh, hidden landmines. Um, you know, sometimes if you if you start writing a post on a blog, it's because, or at least for me, it's because I'm trying to um, sort my thoughts out about a certain topic or something is challenging and trying to like understand it. Well, if you take that same mindset into the workplace and you're trying to deal with a problematic colleague or you're trying to understand a certain organizational structure that you don't like or you're trying to understand why we have a certain product feature on the roadmap that doesn't make any sense, how will you wrestle with that in a way that doesn't create political strife inside your um, organization. I mean, people could feel attacked. They could feel like you're criticizing them in the public. They could feel like you're trying to even eclipse their seniority. Maybe, maybe, you know, there are a lot of ways that things could go wrong um, in the workplace. Let, let me pause here real quick um, and just glance at, uh, sorry, the Q&A, which I see is kind of stacking up here. Um, you know, I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to answer these at the end because otherwise I'm going to lose my train of thought now that I think about it. And I actually only have about seven minutes before I'm supposed to end and go into the Q and a. So let me kind of, um, keep going here. Okay. Um, all right. Link bait temptations and transparency. Hopefully you're seeing that slide because otherwise uh, there's something messed up in my slide deck. But there, there is a um, kind of danger that is very, very, very possible with content creation. Uh, it's, it's, if you're trying to get people to read your content, it's very easy to um, start creating short form content with alluring titles, basically link bait. And the sort of content that gets the most reads online is content that's bizarre, shocking, weird, funny, grotesque, right? It's like if you go to reddit.com and look at the popular uh, subreddit, that's really what you, what you find um, because it gets people's attention. That's what uh, TikTok content is kind of all about, right? It's like the, the crazy stuff that you see uh, that's lightweight. 
Well, uh, I think there is a real temptation if you're trying to feel success in reaching people by having high page traffic to try to pull on the psychology of users through some of these same things. It's very easy to hit nerves to try to get people sharing and reading and discussing, and that can feel kind of thrilling in the moment. But being a troll uh, is very short-lived. It, it's not something that, that works in the long term. Um, early on in my, my blog, I realized that like certain topics I should just stay away from. Um, you know, if you want to write uh, about Dita, you know, or if you want to uh, address some other tools or say make an assertion about the value of programs and so on, like those are all landmines waiting to happen. It's very easy to stir controversy or to be incredibly transparent and to to be super truth telling and so on. Uh, I don't think that any of these techniques um, should really be something that, that you follow for the sake or for the, for the reason that what engages you in the long term is not going to be this type of content. What engages you is going to be topics that you personally find interesting and appealing. And if you ever find that you're kind of sliding into this um, link baity kind of uh, shocking content, uh, it's time to kind of reassess the goals and value of, of the effort. Um, I also wanted to note that there are a lot of other ways to uh, do marketing um, or to raise awareness, right? I, I've only been approaching this as if written content is the only means, but really um, there's a host of other techniques, one-on-one -on -one meetings, for example, with the key people that you're trying to develop relationships. Uh, this is something that might be a lot more powerful um, if you set up monthly meetings with somebody and, and chat, or maybe you have brown bag sessions or other informational presentations about your group or workflow, maybe a series of onboarding sessions. Um, you could also do training of some kind. You could train, uh, engineers how to write. You could train project managers how to comment on, on documentation. Uh, so there really could be a lot of different ways that you create things, even, on a blog, um, I give a lot of presentations, I've done podcasts and, and so on. And uh, there's lots of different ways to um, reach an audience. And finally, uh, I just wanted to touch upon how to measure outcomes of, of engagement. Um, I don't think this could ever be an overnight experiment. It, this really could take uh, years and lots of different uh, tax tactics and so on. That's why I said it's, it must be a labor of love. What you, what you, the type of content you create, right? It has to be something that you're, you're connected with, uh, on an emotional level you know, that, that it appeals to you and so on. Um, but how do you know if you're having an impact besides looking at the number of, of page views and so on? Uh, well, there is, there is, sort of this weird phenomenon of parasocial relationships. It's kind of an interesting word, but it, it describes a relationship where somebody knows you a lot better than you know them, right? Like if I were to come up to my favorite celebrity that I meet on the street and feel like I've seen every one of their movies and I know all about them and so on, but they have no idea who I am, that, that is a parasocial relationship. So maybe in the workplace, if you're suddenly interacting with people, who seem to know you a lot better than you know them, then your content might actually be having a good influence on them or might, might be reaching them. Finally, uh, you might be the biggest beneficiary, right? If you are uh, writing this content and it's something that matters to you and is making an impact on you as most writing is, um, then perhaps it's also helping other people. Um, personally, I think any good blog post is one that changes the way I see the world. If that happens, um, then I feel a lot of benefit for having undertaken any kind of writing effort. Um, and, and if something affects me and, and benefits me, then really, um, that, that is a reward enough, but it could also be a measure to, to, um, kind of look to see if it's impacting other people too, right? If, if the content is not engaging you, 
then chances are it's probably not engaging other people as well. So the flip side would also be the case. All right. Uh, that is about all that I wanted to get into. Let me sort of dip into some of the Q&A here. Oh, and I see they're all like private. Okay. So let me see. Um, um, Tom, what it means is that we can see them, but everyone else can't. Yeah. So in other words, you simply post them. So, no one, so you need to, if you want, I can do it, but you need to read the question first to tell people what you're answering. Okay. All right. First question. Developers and programmers always work to tight deadlines and are perpetually behind. Is It, it is understandable that documentation is a low priority for them, and this influences their slow response or no response to your requests for their reviewer input. How if we can how can we change their attitude uh this is a great example of why i think this whole content effort would be worth it in the first place right uh people are too busy to review documentation that's the story we hear every day well why are two people too busy uh they probably place low value on the activity and as they as we can increase awareness about documentation in ways that underscore its value i think people will will devote more time but it's another reason why hey th this whole internal awareness effort you know there's a reason for it okay next question could we you license the content we you develop to your clients or employers uh so like if you create content internally can you license it to your employers um not really sure I don't really know what that's about. Anything you basically do on your company time belongs to the company, so probably not. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I'm not sure I fully understood it, but all right, next question. In a company which is not so big, should Techcom write their own newsletter or be a section in a general company newsletter? Um, well, I think a general company newsletter doesn't follow the same pattern that I've been uh, trying to promote as the way to do it. A general company newsletter is going to shove all the content into one massive email and with no ability to track things. So uh, maybe it could be a section in there that points to an online site with more more ability to track engagement and readership. But uh, yeah, I mean, it could go either way, of course. Next question. If you write in the name of your department, you may be enhancing your department reputation, but not your own. Is that relevant? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, great question. Like when you create, uh, some kind of team newsletter, you're enhancing your team and, and not necessarily yourself. I think that's probably the right way to go. I mean, there's no real point of aggrandizing oneself in the company. Um, you're really promoting awareness of the role of documentation and tech com awareness and so on. Um, I think outside of a company, it makes much more sense to build your own professional expertise and reputation. All right, next one. What exact, what exactly messages would you want to convey to the corporate audience? Well, I think the, the big story to tell is that, um, documentation is central to the user experience and therefore extremely important. Um, that will help people devote time to reviews, loop technical writers in and so on. Uh, but honestly, um, I think just kind of increasing general awareness about the doc group could be highly valuable. Um, maybe helping people understand that we're more than just scribes that we, you know, have, uh, a lot of strategic input and, and other thoughts would be helpful. Um, most people are really in the dark about like what our role is and the extent of what we do. Do you follow dev blogs? Can TechCom take advantage of them? Um, uh, I follow I follow a lot of tech blogs, but not that many developer blogs. Um, not really a developer. I mean, even though I'm writing developer documentation, I follow some Android blogs just to try to stay aware of kind of the latest. Um, can TechCom take advantage of them? It probably would be a great model. Um, I've learned that corporate blogs, even though they, they kind of suffer from credibility, there's a couple of areas where they do work. One is uh, release note type information, like what's new. And the second is 
tech tips and tutorials. Um, that's sort of a safe space, right? Like, uh, and that's a great way. That's very common on dev blogs. Would be something to to model. All right, last one. You brought up ideas that relate to promoting the web and promoting those techniques to the org. It might be easier logistically to promote to the web, but only indirectly influences the org. Do you think one is better than the other to start with? Hold on, I can have to read this one again. Uh, I'm not sure I totally understand this one. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to flesh this out. But uh, m my general strategy is to try to bring the techniques of the web inside the corporation because they seem to have a lot of impact on the web. Um, could you take the techniques from the corporation and implement them on the web? That actually, I don't know if that's a question, but it's food for thought, right? Like that might expose the fact that they real they really are two different landscapes with different laws of physics and maybe they maybe they don't work um uh but there's probably some common ground and, and so on um i'm not entirely sure what are all the techniques inside of a corporation that that might be like codified as some kind of principles and so on but uh interesting thoughts all right well Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to join one of the, the lounges and so on after this, and I'll hang around for 15 minutes, but I enjoyed interacting with you and, and chatting about this topic. So if you want to find more information about me, um, you can at idratherbewriting.com. Uh, you can send me an email at tomjoht at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Tom Johnson or on write the doc Slack at the same Tom Johnson. I'm happy to kind of continue the conversation. And if you have more thoughts, inputs, especially if you've tried some of these things and you can share what worked or didn't work, I would love to hear that kind of feedback. So thank you. So Tom, thank you very much. Um, Tom will be in track one. I just want to remind you guys that in eight minutes, we have the panel discussion on pretty much exactly what we've been discussing here. I, the, the segue is amazing. So um, keep all your questions, keep all your thoughts, and bring them into that panel discussion, which will be led by Batami. And we have some amazing people on that. Um, Tom, I can't thank you enough. And uh, in Israel, we say next year in Jerusalem every year. So in your case, I'm saying next year in Israel. It doesn't really matter where in Israel, just as long as we can get you here. All right. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.